0: Hold on to your hats, the countdown to the biggest wellness event of the year is on! Join us on August 15 and 16 in Melbourne for not one, but two days of powerhouse wellness featuring 11 of Australia's most inspiring, entertaining, educating, fermentating speakers. Damo, what is fermentating? MP, I'll tell you at the summit. Your favourite Wellness Couch speakers are joined by special guest Nat Kringudis, on all things hormones and female health. Join the Up For A Chat girls, the wellness guys, the natural nutritionist Steph Lowe, Kale Brock, Quirky Cookings, Joe Witt, Marcus Pierce, and the rest of your favourite Wellness Couch podcasters. Regular and VIP tickets are still available but hurry before this summit is sold out. For tickets go to www.thewellnesssummit.com. The Wellness Summit is proudly brought to you by Well and You. Be someone that makes you happy. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes, share The Real Food Reel with your friends and continue to spread The Real Food Love.
1: Hi team and welcome to episode 35 of The Real Food Reel. Today on the show, we dissect the current emerging science into fat adaptation and endurance athletes. In 2013, Jeff Volek, his graduate students and colleagues commenced data collection for the Faster study. This study looked at the physiological differences between elite male ultramarathon runners where one cohort followed a conventional high-carb diet and the other a low-carb fat adaptation strategy. While publications won't be emerging until later this year, today on the show I chat with Peter Defty from Vespa Power and share with you some of the metabolic data and amazing results of the FASTA study. Hi, Pete, and welcome to The Real today.
0: Hi, good evening, or what is it? Good morning, good afternoon. What is it down there? G'day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> G'day is probably a good start. Yeah. Thanks for joining yeah. us, Pete. And so, Oh,
0: my, my pleasure.
1: Great. So this is your first time on The reel. Can you please start with a little bit of background about yourself, Vespa Power, and then your involvement with the study we're about to dissect today?
0: Yeah. Um, I'm the general manager for Vespa, um, and it's a it's a... It's a synergistic blend of honey, propolis, royal jelly, and the wasp extract, which is a naturally occurring peptide of uh, the Asian wa- mandarin wasp. It, and where uh, the product is, is made to trigger uh, your body to metabolize fat at a very high rate. Um, and so my background is, is a biology degree out of the University of California at Davis. And um, when I got involved with Vespa, I started to uh, run into issues. So we started to look at the physiology and started to work. And this is how the whole OFM program developed, which is Optimized Fat Metabolism. And then in 2010, I believe, somebody put me in touch with Stephen Finney. um, And we got together and um, we started to communicate because Steve and Jeff Volick are, are just... World class research scientists, and I'm a sort of an empiricist. But I was the guy who was, you know, getting athletes to run these um, world class times and win races on a fat adapted approach. So it was. It's been a very good uh, loose collaboration because that kind of communication helps them do research. And, and by talking to them as as scientists, because they're both geniuses, it's helped me kind of understand some of the scientific background and think about the physiology to kind of further develop the program. And, and so in 2012, we did a study with Western States um, using a bunch of fat adapted runners and a bunch of uh, conventional runners. And that's that, um, Study that year. Uh, Timothy Olson set the uh, won the Western States uh, uh, race, but also set the course record, and um, so he was one of the study cohorts, But he passed out during the blood draw, so they they had to drop him. But we got some very interesting, intriguing data that's yet to be published, and that led um, Jeff and Steve were so impressed by these ultra runners um, of both both the low-carb and high-carb, that it kind of segued into the FASTER study um, in 2013. Um, Jeff was able to uh, scrape some money together from, I think, the Atkins Foundation and um, uh, to do the FASTER study, and we were able to recruit um, a cohort of 10, 10 each of the uh, conventional high-carb athletes and 10 each of uh, low-carb Fat adapted athletes, and I, I was instrumental in in helping with the study design and with getting the athletes, and so had a lot of communication with uh, Jeff and Steve to kind of help them set the stage. But um, beyond that, they were doing the science, and 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 faster is it stands for fat adapted substrate oxidation and trained elite uh, ultra runners something like that is how the acronym goes but they were just looking at the metabolic differences it wasn't um, it was not a study where they were comparing who's better they were just looking at metabolic differences so um, if you if you look at how they looked at their subject characteristics they were very careful to match the cohort so in terms of age Height, body mass, fat mass, um, lean body mass, their VO2 maxes, all those things. They were very careful to make sure these were very well matched people. The only thing that was different was was their dietary habits.
1: Yeah, it's quite interesting to see the data when you look at the two groups. They they are almost identical. Like even the VO2 maxes of the groups are the sort of 64, or 64 and a half. So. Uh, a bunch of um, fit men.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're all very fit. And, and everybody was, you know, like I said, um, Jeff and his graduate students were equally impressed with both of them. And I can dive into some nuances and stuff that won't be in the study. It's not talked about later in the talk. But, but yeah, they were there. And also in terms of their real world results, they were all at, at fairly elite levels in terms of Of their performance. So, you know, some of them were, you know, we're talking about people who would finish in the top 20, 15, 20% of a, of a field of any given ultra race. And some of them were, you know, people who'd be podiuming. And, and, you know, in the case of Zach Bitter, I think when he did his test, he just came, it was two weeks after he'd set the American record for 200K. So, um, you know, you've got some Pretty, pretty serious talent um, uh, in the in the event in the in the faster study so we had some good talent solid talent very elite uh, level runners on both sides
1: yeah great so for the benefit of our listeners I wanted to um, start with some background information about the actual study so we know it was a three-hour treadmill can you take us through some of the pr- protocols and, and the and the testing that was done
0: well let me see if I can remember it <laughs> They did a they they went in it was like two days of intense testing and they came in one night and they took some basic vitals and then they um then the next day they they did a VO2 max and they were pulling you know they were doing all the the VO2 max the blood and they were also doing muscle biopsies mm. um so they were doing a pretty full panel. So they did a, a VO2 max test. And then I think the next day, and they were feeding them according to their dietary patterns. And then they were watching what they eat. So it was very controlled during the time they got there to the time that they left. And then I think the next, the f- second day is when they did the three-hour treadmill. And um, again, post-exercise, they, they did a muscle biopsy, blood um, I think they, cell as well. yeah, cheek cells, all those things. Mm. So it's pretty, I mean, for the, for the audience, it's at this point, it's not really necessary for me to go into all that. It's just, it's just a very robust study. Mm. Yeah. So um, that's, that's the kind of thing you they, they need to know. And, and the yeah. data is still emerging.
1: Yeah. So that just sets the scene for us. So what I wanted to cover next was so, I mean, I know that the high-carb diets were 60% carbohydrate, 25% fat, 15% protein. And then on the other cohort, we had the low-carb diet, which was 10 to 12% carbohydrate, 70% fat, and 20% protein. So, we've obviously got significant difference in macronutrients. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that a limitation of many fat adaptation studies, and certainly a lot of the arguments that you and I get with the work that we do is that, um, you know, it doesn't work from a performance point of view, but these studies don't adjust or allow for the initial adaptation period. So, as you know, the sugar burners are then left without their predominant fuel, but they're unable to perhaps access their fat stores. So how did FASTA differ in this regard and, and was there an adaptation period?
0: Well, yeah, all the low-carb cohort people had been doing uh a, a fat adapted approach and when I say fat adapted they weren't like straight up keto um, they would cycle carbs in and out they were using the Vespa product and this is in their real world uh, for faster they were put to a straight keto uh, protocol during the during the testing period but um, the key is they they had been fat adapted I think everybody was fat adapted at least 12 months right. yes and and what we're seeing both Steve and I have talked about this, and this is just discussion. There's no hard scientific data, but but after you go through that initial um, physiological shift through a, a, you know that sharp restriction in carbohydrates, you know the first couple of weeks, like it can take an athlete anywhere from three days to three weeks to really get that uh, physiological shift to to burning fat as fuel via beta oxidation and ketosis. There's still another anywhere from six to eight weeks of upregulation where the the upregulation of the hormones and enzymes to really burn fat at a high rate take take effect and then once you get there theoretically you're really well fat adapted so um but what we found is it's usually another six months six to twelve months and up to two years before people really get it down because there's you know you got to change your habits your lifestyle and one of the biggest things that affects fat adaptation is stress so if you're consciously thinking about everything you're eating that's going to have a significant negative effect on your ability to burn fat you really got to be sort of in the zone and, and relatively relaxed if you're a type a person and you're just trying to get your macronutrient profile perfect and and make sure you got the right kind of fat or you know you're you're meat is grass-fed or non-GMO or, you know, all that kind of thinking about it, overthinking can can really impact your your fat adaptation. So what we find is um, it takes people about a year to two years to really get to where it's just, it's a lifestyle.
1: Yeah, and you make and, a couple of good points there. I think that the stress uh, conversation is something I just wanted to elaborate on, a little bit off track from faster. But in terms of certainly people that try to go too low carbohydrate as well, uh, I know you and I agree on this point. So um, yep. just being aware that when we talk about low carb, it's 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 not the ten to twelve percent that they did in the FASTA study as a as a day to day long term approach.
0: That that's correct. And and the and the, the, the low carb cohort, as I said, when they're when they're training and racing, they're using carbs strategically. Yep. They cycle them in and out. Um, they're using the Vespa product. But but what we do is we recommend that periodization of, of nutrition too. So and it, it kind of goes in in sync with your training. So, you know, as you go into a big block of training or racing, you're going to bring some carbs in. But then when you're in those recovery days, especially if you have a big block of training like a brick weekend for an, a triathlete or a 100K or 100 mile or 50 mile race for an ultra runner, you know, in those days, two or three or four days after, that's a great time to just – go super low carb because you're not going to be be exercising a whole lot you'll be in recovery mode and then you'll you'll get the enhanced benefits of of being super low carb in terms of lower inflammation and especially if you're doing the nutrition right meaning getting the nutrient dense fats uh the animal fats with the fat soluble vitamins and and all the the protein and, and minerals you need um you just you get all the benefits and you kind of reset your your metabolism back to that super high fat burning rate, so that when you bring the carbs back in um, the 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 downside impact is minimized while the upside potential is maximized
1: yeah that's a really great way to put it
0: yeah yeah so so yeah we, we want to make sure that the the that for the study you know because it's a it's a it's going to be the papers are going to be published in peer-reviewed journals and pretty high-tier journals because in academia, you know, it's not just getting published, it's getting published in which journal inside academia. That's one of the things that a lot of the public doesn't know is is a lot of your, your athletic public, including a lot of your people who have masters and are so-called the experts, if it gets published, they think Ooh ah, ooh ah, but it really depends on on what journal, and and only the you know the academics keep track of this. So there's a lot of stuff that gets published in in sports nutrition that's published out of low what they call low tier journals that you know almost anybody can get something published in. So it, it and that and that's where you know you, you know companies can make hay about something, some little comment. But it, when you go into the study and look at the experimental design or the way they did the stats you know if you're a a junkie like say Denise Minger is when she did took apart the China study you can see that it's 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 a lot more complicated than that so people need to be aware of those kinds of things I I don't want I don't expect the audience to try and get into it because because even when I read peer-reviewed stuff I can get the gist of it but in terms of understanding the details I'm I'm (laughs) I'm far from being an academic
1: yeah, but I think the point is, is that you don't believe everything that you read necessarily. Like there's a lot to a study that makes it a well-designed study yep. and, and certainly we know that there's issues with who funds certain studies and what the results say as well. I mean, it's a big kettle of yep. fish, so I think it's important yep. that we, we factor that in.
0: Yeah, and, and, and even within science, the scientists have their own what they call Confirmational bias, mm. which you know, you tend to slant towards things that meet what your expectations are. And you know, Jeff and Jeff Bollock is a low carb guy, and he naturally does it, but because he's sort of the the canary in the coal mine and he knows what's going on, he's been very careful with faster to do really good experimental design because of the fact that what we're going to start talking about here next is really a paradigm shift.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: so um, where do you want to go from here now, Steph? So,
1: I'd love to hear some of the results, so particularly from a metabolic point of view, what some of the really key results were, and let's start with fat utilisation.
0: Okay, yeah, and, and the, these are the we're going to touch on these highlights that are things that the the audience really can wrap their head around. We're not going to go into the muscle biopsies and all the the blood panels because that's um that's a whole can of worms. Well, that, that will it's, come it's as good, well. Yeah, that will come as well. But I, I would I think it's going to be better till after the pub the papers are published. Mm. A lot no, more mm. This where, stuff is really
1: practical though. This is that this is the data that people want to see. That endurance athletes want to see to have the confidence that they maybe don't yet have that low carb is the way to go for endurance athletes.
0: That's right. And 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 what we're talking about right now is is really cutting edge stuff because <clears throat> it's being talked about, and it's been talked about for oh about nine, ten months now since the data got got they ran the stats and stuff on On faster yeah nine ten months already but um when jeff first started to do some talks about it and and i just got an email from him actually yesterday where uh the first paper um he's expecting to hear back uh from the the peer review people um any day now so that the the he can do the do whatever edits need to be done and then um ostensibly that it'll get approved for for uh publication but but that's not a sure thing because what we're going to be talking about here is a game changer and and this is part of one of the big hurdles and why jeff had to do the experimental design so well because what we're seeing here in faster is actual data um which i'm going to be a little bit um uh, facetious but and take a little credit but we've been saying this for years and and jeff and steve know it's possible but there was no science and i've been telling them what these runners but but now it's actual scientific data so um basically what the current science says is humans at the very most the the the, uh hyper responders to fat adaptation can only burn one gram of carbohydrate per minute yeah okay so or so do you like to look
1: in calories as well
0: well, we're just going to use grams per minute because that's yeah. how the, the study was designed. So mm-hmm. it's one gram per minute of, of, of fat, okay? That's the outside, and, and really the mean for athletes is about a half a gram a minute. So your mean for, for all kinds of athletes, all levels, yeah. the current sign says you're ba- we're basically, as a group, capable of burning half a gram per minute and and those those the absolute max anybody can do is one gram so
1: just for my athletes just for my athletes quickly that work in in calories the the half a gram is about the 270 calories um per hour yeah cool
0: yeah so you know that's that's so that that you know so that means say half a gram a minute, what were we, what were we saying here? Um, um, so snap. you were
1: saying that the current science says the absolute maximum is only one gram a minute, but obviously faster showed something completely different?
0: Yep, yep. So you we were only talking a, a very, very lo- lo- small amount, right? Mm-hmm. So what happened with faster is the, the – the numbers were really interesting because the the high carb the traditional high carb um, cohort fell pretty much in the upper end of the um, current science. They were point six seven, which is which is when you look at the Venables study. Point um, six seven is right at the top of the the big mass grouping of people above that yeah. you start to get outliers you know hyper responders yeah. so point they, so they were at the upper end of the mean of of what the current science says is possible but but interestingly enough the low carb cohort their mean was 1.54 wow okay and one guy john rutherford was burning 1.8 grams per minute
1: that is absolutely insane that's yeah. nearly a thousand calories an hour
0: that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's very yeah. cool. Mm. And and so when you look at that and start to think about what that what the, the implications of that mm. um on a 3-hour treadmill or say on a bike or in a triathlon that, that's that's a, that's a game changer in terms of, of fuel partitioning yep. where you're going to get get your fuel from and how you because this flows naturally from your body from your fat stores um a lot is coming out of your your hepatic um, fat stores and um, out of your body fat stores, and the, and your um, your intermuscular triglycerides, and so, you know, it's all it's all fat that's just right there, ready to go.
1: Yeah, so I think it's really great as well that we can take this in a practical sense. So, just to yep. talk about John for a second, if he's obviously getting at nearly a thousand calories from fatty acid oxidation and and so he burns a thousand calories per hour it shows us how little he needs exogenously
0: yep yep and i think he said you know i co i actually started coaching him he was using vespa and then um once he tasted the kool-aid i started to have him do more and more of the fat adaptation and he got better and better results and then uh he got you know, and then all of a sudden he went from being practically a vegetarian to being a full blown carnivore oh, good to hear. <laughs> m- m- much m- much to his wife's dismay but <laughs> but um you know he, but he's he's um you know he's an x f18 pilot he's with the state department right now in peru, and he's just he's just a very precise uh guy that'll just execute but um
1: well, he's still winning his age group at what age it's pretty pretty phenomenal
0: yeah and i think his his out of the box. Iron Man he did a nine twenty five and was complaining about having to pull a bunch of pros who were drafting him.
1: And, <laughs> yeah, and that, was, pretty uh, impressive. that
0: was a, yeah, that was mm-hmm. a pretty um, that was pretty impressive when you considered he he had to travel very quickly from central Russia where he, he was posted with the State Department to uh Ironman Zurich or it was in Switzerland, I r I can't remember where, but it was um in Switzerland and it was, you know, it wasn't like he had the ideal conditions. So but but in Faster he was burning one point eight and and there were several people in that above the one point five four of course and then a couple of um lower responders, but nobody was even close to that one gram uh number. They were all well above it, which means this kind of data basically defies what the science says is possible today yeah, yeah so
1: just just back to the venable study i know that was in 2005 and that was the yeah. the cross-sectional study of men and women and the peak fat oxidation it i mean i haven't looked at this study in for in in detail but it would be interesting to have a look at the um the the time of adaptation like you say the big difference with faster was that these guys have been doing it for for 12 months or more so obviously the results yeah. are uh, very much in line with that
0: yeah, and venables wasn 't looking at you know low carb high carb they, these were just mm. Dutch people who are athletes and probably eating a a, a pretty regular sad. diet yeah. Pro- yeah well, not a sad one, but probably a Dutch diet which probably had more fat than okay. mm. an american di- American athletic diet because your conventional American athletic diet is very low in in fat, these people mm. are like fat phobic and 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 push a lot of carbs because they're they're literally addicted to them, um, so you know you're seeing this this number is just just absolutely stunning when you when you have people that are burning like three times what the mean of the current science says, yeah. and nobody's burn and and not one of these people is burning anywhere near what. The current science says is possible so you know and the, and steve finney did a study in 1983 on cyclists and he, he, he took them from being high carb cyclists and ran a battery test on them and then over four weeks he adapted them and did a test and that was that gave him enough time to adapt but not really adapt at that point but but he got some really good data of how they were very comparable in their powers and their energies, but there were some there were some you know there were some issues like a lot of the cyclists complained that they didn't have the top gear in keto um, but um, but they were able to go longer and, and you know didn't use as much fuel but it, it, you know there's there's been some stuff out there but but until faster there's been very little like you said that gave enough time to do the full adaptation
1: yeah. It's good to see. Finally, we've got some data, and I can't wait for the journal to come through. So, the next um, point I wanted to cover was the crossover point. So, yep. we know this is a you know an old term that is used to refer uh, sorry that refers to the point where you cross over from burning fat to burning primarily carbohydrates in an exercise scenario. So, tell us more about that and yeah, what um. Down- probably-
0: Crossover was was the crossover concept was basically developed uh, by George Brooks, who was an exercise physiologist at at University of California Berkeley, and I actually knew one of the collaborators. He's since deceased, but I knew one of the collaborators who worked directly with George on this concept. So I knew about this in pretty much detail years ago when this friend was telling me all about it. And um, the the thing about the crossover is. You know, and a lot of athletes are aware of this, that that basically most athletic humans, depending on their level of fat adaptation or the converse would be carb addiction, (laughs) um, they cross over anywhere from 45% to 70% of their VO2 max. And and that means that, that all of a sudden, if they're well aerobically conditioned, able to access some fat for their lower and mid-level intensity at about 65-70% their things start to shift where their carbs start to come up and they start to cross over and by about 85% they're hardly burning any fat at all and they're burning almost all carbs all the way up to their threshold and into their anaerobic so um and that's been a, that like, like the Venable study and other studies before that talked about the amount of fat you could uh, burn per minute, the crossover point is pretty well established and pretty well accepted science. So when you look at the faster study and, and look at where the, again, where the high carb cohort fell in, um, they were like lockstep in line with the current science. I mean, it's just just like amazing that that those 10 high-carb athletes were just, boom, they nailed everything in terms of the existing um, science. So, so, but when you look at the low-carb guys, the crossover all of a sudden doesn't occur till 80% and, you know, they don't really fall off off a cliff until they're well into 90% of their VO2 max, but the most significant thing about it is not only does that crossover shift further up the spectrum of your VO2 max, but because you're burning so much more fat and you can burn so much more of that fat at a, at a higher intensity, it's, a, it's really a game changer because, you know, athletes have been told for decades that you can't use fat for anything above mid-level intensity exercise.
1: Yeah, well, you always hear it's the low intensity, but, I mean, we can see this, the yeah. benefits this will have from a performance point of view. If their peak fat oxidations at sort of 75-ish VO2 max um, and they can train a race at that, then, I mean, yep. they're certainly going to have the the maximum fuel reserve and, and never go anywhere near bonking or hitting the wall.
0: Yeah, they're, they're virtually bonk-proof yeah. because… When you're, you know, right now, if you look at, at the faster study on the low carb, these guys are at, at, their peak oxidation is 75 to 80%, and, well, 70 to 80% is, is that range. So, you know, that's that's the zone for most endurance sports. You know, yeah. if you're talking about an Ironman or an Ultra or even a, even a marathon for most people, um, they're they're operating at that level. So, they become virtually bonk-proof, Um by by getting that fat adaptation and and this shows that you can use fat for higher intensity but even for other sports where you're you're surging into your threshold and anaerobic spectrum you know when you look at things like Aussie rules football those guys they they're they're moving in and out of different aerobic zones all the time and and just by shifting this over it's just leaving that much more reserve so when they do have those surges and pushes and all the things you need to to do high-intensity sports precisely, um, you, you've got just a bigger reserve to work on, right?
1: Yeah, and this is the point, this is the argument that we get all the time that like you mentioned with the the 1983 study, the the negative was apparently that I lost my top gear and a lot of people in say short course or even those that feel like they're, they're wanting to race at a higher intensity, their immediate argument is, um, that you know that it doesn't support the Top Gear, and here we have the data showing peak fat oxidation at seventy five percent VO two max. So it's going to hopefully eventually quieten those critics.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you and you and you know, it really doesn't start to fall off till after eighty percent of mm. VO two max, and and you know what we're doing with OFM is is the strategic use of carbohydrates, which is the same thing you're promoting. You know, then you you have those carbs for a long time, and I think a lot of people have been polarized because you have. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, you have a lot of pushback right now from the conventional high carb group. I mean, Na- I don't know if you know who Nancy Clark is, she's a fairly well known nutritionist, yeah, in, in yeah. the, and she's she's wrote some pretty scathing things after uh, AC, uh, American college of sports nutrition conference. Mm. And she didn't name the She didn't name Jeff Bollock or the faster study, but you can clearly see who was in her crosshairs. Mm. I, don't, I I think, you know, she may not have wanted people to go look at the data because, um, they might've found it pretty intriguing. <laughs> she just basically wrote an article on Hal Higdon's thing saying carbs rock and you're not going to get anywhere with fat and fat's going to make you fat. And, you know all the things we're used to hearing. I, I think the the camps have gotten very polarized and vociferous. And then you have the low carb camp, you know, just trying to push hardcore keto for all the health benefits and the fact that you can go all day, um, you know, and you can go 70, 80, maybe eighty five percent all day long. But you're just going to be missing that top gear. And so, and and everything. Just as an aside, you know. Everything I've seen in the literature and everything I've seen in the real world, and this is with myself working with the athletes I coach, um, like Zach Bitter and Nikki Kimball, we see this pretty clearly that, that you are going to lose some top end if you don't bring the carbs back in. However, what a lot of people don't understand is by getting the fat adaptation, you're putting yourself on a whole different platform, a much higher platform of fat oxidation. So the carbs actually can work better more sustainably using less
1: oh yeah and that's a really great point i think yeah it's it's about committing to the adaptation phase which we know is you know six to eight weeks but then going out in the field and and remembering n equals one and experimenting with the right amount but you know at the same time you're knowing that you'll need nowhere near as less as what you started with because you have that enhanced utilization ability
0: yeah yeah and and I, I will tell you based on on the work we're doing, and, and this is myself and the athletes I'm I'm working with. But you know everybody's fat adapted. They're using Vespa and they're bringing carbs in. And what we're seeing is is like when you bring in in those carbs, like if you hit a shot of carbs, it's it's like ten minutes later you better be hanging on because it it has <laughs> such a uh, uh an effect. And, and what I suspect is going on is when you get fat adapted, one of the big pluses of that is your your basal insulin levels go down, your insulin sensitivity goes way up and what I'm speculating is happening is now insulin instead of being a demon, it becomes exactly what it's meant to do which is with that insulin sensitivity and the low level, you're not impacting your fat oxidation but then when you bring that sugar in, your body just secretes just a little tiny bit of, of insulin and that insulin just does exactly what it's supposed to which is drive that sugar into the cells and help convert into ATP really quickly. And I think that's why people notice that the, the carb source is working so uh, – have such a strong effect. Yeah,
1: I heard Zach Bitter on Tri-Specific on um, the Fat Black yeah. with Christian and Pete, and he was saying how his experience is that carbohydrates are now like the new caffeine –
0: yeah. Well, I'm I'm actually, the the thing is, it's better than caffeine. I'm actually starting to frame the strategic carbohydrates. Don't get me wrong. We still use them very strategically, but I'm also starting to think of them in terms of use like, I'm thinking in terms of use like, like they're a legal PED.
1: <laughs> performance I mean, enhancing drug. Yeah.
0: Right, right. Performance enhancing drug because like any performance enhancing drug, a little bit can give you some huge gains, but if you use a lot of it over a period of time, there's there's a huge um, downside to that, right? Yeah. So, and we and we know people like us know that that using a lot of carbs. It's it's not good over time and, and and I'll tell you, Steph, everything I've seen in the literature, thinking of and the physiology textbooks and just thinking about this and then watching it happen in real life with athletes, if you're doing any volume of exercise and you're doing doing it using glucose as your main fuel substrate, you're probably doing yourself more long term harm than good. And I'm sure you see it all the time.
1: Yeah, it's I mean it's a common conversation that we have, but I've said this before, and I'm, I think what's happening now with these conversations and, and certainly the movement is that people are starting to think about their athletic longevity, which I think is amazing because it doesn't matter if you go to Kona at 21. I mean, yes, that might be your goal, but do you want to be doing Ironman for 30 plus years? You know, you've got to look after the long term element as well.
0: Yes, yes, but but also it's just what I've seen is like it's not a question of like I said it's not a question of if it's when mm. and and so a lot of the people we started working with early on at Vespa were were people who would run out of options and they'd heard like how you know if you use Vespa and get fat adapted you just need less calories and and you know, we've seen just such remarkable things because if you're doing a lot of exercise but you're fueling it with fats, particularly the the, the animal fats that have a lot of uh, nutrition in them, um, we're seeing a whole different metabolic animal um, come out of that in terms of some some interesting numbers. And and we can talk more about that because that's part of what's going on with faster studies. So, you know, as you move down, you know, the the on the, on the faster study with one of Jeff's graphs, you know, you can look at what this the implications in terms of how much carbohydrate you'll need for an event, uh when you're burning fat versus okay. when you're burning carbohydrate.
1: Yeah, there's a significant difference, and we we always talk about the the health benefits as we've just discussed, which I think is, you know, obviously priority number one but i also like to emphasize the logistical side of things because when we're talking about ironmans or ultras people that are trying to consume 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrates per hour it just becomes an absolute nightmare as to where you're going to carry it all and having to deal with special needs or you know Yeah
0: no no you're you're right you're absolutely right when i hear these people talk about you know their coaches are recommending three, four hundred calories an hour on the bike, mm. and it's just like it It's just it, 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 I can't fathom trying to choke that down. We had a, I have one guy who's super good. He was a faster, um, a faster subject, and he was well fat adapted, like John. He ran a hundred miles, like a very fast competitive hundred miler. And he had like 600 calories for breakfast. He took in or no, 500 calories for breakfast, and less than 600 in race calories, and he got second place. He he ran competitively, you know, elite level, competitive ultra marathon. Not it was an you know an eight race on the East Coast, but 600 calories in race. I mean, we we think we're doing great with 1200 to 2500 calories in race for mm-hmm. 100 miles, yeah. and then he did 600 calories. He was so fat adapted that afterwards he didn't. He wasn't hungry, so he went home, took a shower, went to sleep, and didn't eat breakfast. Didn't eat till breakfast the next morning.
1: Yeah, it shows that- you the outliers as well. What's actually possible in some individuals.
0: Yeah and and you know young healthy males uh have it pretty easy they can they can get away <laughs> with it I mean the women got the short end of the stick I hate to tell you this, But no, well,
1: we've <laughs> spoken about this before <laughs>
0: Yeah 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 well it's like like I've said on other podcast interviews as with all things female it's complicated <laughs> but that that doesn't mean that the females can't can't get it going because certainly we have a lot of females uh getting a lot of um uh benefits from this but like you said for the health I mean you're going to have less oxidative stress you're going to have less lactate load so you're going to recover faster you can actually handle a higher training load and if you do it right you're actually going to perform better and be be healthier and I think when you're looking at, at people like uh, Zach Bitter um, Nikki Kimball some of the ultra running people and then we've, we've just started to pick up some really elite uh, female triathletes Who Christian and I are working with that um, came to us because they'd heard about, you know, the Vespa and and, and all that because they were having, they were starting to have stomach and gut issues.
1: Yeah, I'm Uh, excited to see more of that um, because, you know, I think you guys are doing heaps with the Ultra Runners. Um, I'd love to see the same with long course triathletes. So
0: yeah yeah well we 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 started with with ultra running and then we moved into triathlon about two years ago Mm. and we're seeing a lot of really good good response with the age groupers and Mm. and just people you know the whole idea is to just get people to have good races because when you tap into fat you're stable you're not bonking you don't have the mental fog you can really enjoy what you're doing you get in that zone you know that like mark allen talks about yes and and you can perform and that's what we and that's what we want people to do. So, cool. Um, so we've talked about yeah. the
1: fat utilization benefits. We've spoken about the shift right in the crossover point. We've covered obviously fuel use during submaximal exercise. Do you want to share some other things that you found in fast that maybe aren't being released um, yet in the publications?
0: Well, what's what's really interesting is is I was talking with Steve about a month ago, and and one of the things that we've been seeing in, in, in with uh, some of the people I'm working with who are collecting data, and and it's it, it's consistent with people who aren't content um, collecting data. Is I don't know if you noticed, but like post exercise, a lot of the athletes I'm working with, we don't eat for one to three hours after we're just not hungry, and what we're seeing in the data is is we're seeing that that while we have ketones, the ketone le- the post-exercise ketone surge levels are not what the body of science, the current body of science says is you're in really good post-exercise ketosis. Um we do have ketones, but it's 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 like 0.3, 0.5, maybe 0.9, maybe 1.5, but it's not like the 3.5, 5.5 in these well-adapted athletes. But but interestingly enough, what we're seeing is we're seeing this really good spike in blood sugar. It's a transient spike, but post-exercise, a lot of these athletes will get a really good push-up, like 130. I don't know how, I don't know what it converts to in Australia, but it's like 130, 150 milligrams per deciliter here, but really surprisingly high levels of blood sugar. And it's transient. And Steve was telling me that um. So and it's transient. About an hour or two later, it's it's back down to their normal low fasting blood sugars and they're stable. But what Steve was telling me was what Jeff's is finding in the mu- muscle biopsies is these low carb diet athletes are, um, they're they're doing these these runs fasted and they're you know a couple hours later they've got a bunch of muscle glycogen there that they didn't yeah. have before.
1: Did you say one thirty? Milicons. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's like a seven even,
1: for
0: us. Yeah, mm-hmm. even up to 156. Wow. I've had one, well, Dr. Edwards, who's one of the cyclists I work with, um, he and I have been re- working with Romain Bardet, uh, who won stage 18 at Tour de France. Yes, um, I saw that. yeah. Um, he called me up one night cause he did a ride. He's a cat. He's a cat one cyclist too. And he's a sports doctor, but he said, he called me up one night. He says, Oh my God, Peter, you told me, but I had no idea. Cause as he, he said his post-exercise blood sugar was 156. He did a fasted workout and he said he, at the end, he just really put the hammer down and then started looking at his glucose and ketone levels. And, and, and he, he peaked out at 156 milligrams per deciliter.
1: So just as a reference, the Australian unit. So we like to look at someone having a normal blood sugar level of five or less, whereas this post exercise is sort of seven or eight millimole per liter.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so, but what Jeff's seeing in the in the data he collected at at Baxter is exactly that that these. The muscle glycogen stores, even mm. in a fasted athlete, you know, a fat is going up. So that whole thing, and this is where the fat adaptation turns everything on its head. That whole thing where you have to have something in you right away to restore mm. your glycogen levels—that really applies to somebody who's a fat a sugar burner, right? So they they burn through their glycogen, so they have to restore it. Well, um, right now, what it's painting is a much more complex. Yeah, picture and obviously insulin at, at, being
1: quite anabolic that's certainly helpful um from a recovery point of view as well rather than being catabolic
0: yeah yeah exactly and, and that's what we see is like we get this transient blood sugar rise and then jeff seeing this glycogen storage phenomenon and and that's going to be part of the challenges of publication because mm. this is something that's never been seen before
1: it's also potentially seen as negative like from a diabetic point of view um it depends on how you interpret it
0: Yes, yes, yes. But like I said, everything in the fat adaptation world is turning everything on its head, including yeah. including the, the current body of science on ketogenic diets. Because um, one of the things, Steph, that's really key to understand is the current body of, of, of science on ketogenic diets and fat adaptation is based on a relatively sedentary population. Yeah,
1: for sure.
0: And so I think when you're training on a fat adapted thing and you're getting the nutrition right your your mitochondria both your volume and size is just so much higher and robust um and I haven't seen I haven't seen that data yet but I will but it's it's just so much better um and you your mitochondria suffer so much less oxidative stress by burning fat that that um there's a whole new me- new level of a metabolic set point so that's why we're seeing these lower you know ketone uh readings in these fat adapted athletes and we're also seeing you know some some really interesting numbers in their their lipid panels where they're all tending to have fairly high um cholesterol once again my numbers don't jive with the Australian numbers, but mm. but they're 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 high. The kind of, they're high in 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 terms of the the pharma companies. Like above help five that. for us in Australia. Yeah. 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 They, they, the pharma companies would, and their doctors would tell you immediately this person needs to be on statins. But then when you look at their LDL particle size, when you look at their C-reactive protein, when you look at their hemoglobin A1c. Um, and you look at their triglycerides, they're all, like, absolutely better than excellent.
1: Yeah, and it's- I think this is an important point with reference ranges, knowing that they aren't, A, based on elite people, um, and, and, B, we need to, you know, we need to factor in the individual. When you see a, a picture of health health, a lean, fit, endurance athlete, how can they possibly need statin drugs when all their other inflammatory markers, like triglycerides, like CRP, are all low yep. like we just need to use common sense there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and actually but the uh, the and this has been suppressed by big pharma but mm. actually there's a lot of epidemiological studies showing that the people with high cholesterol actually live longer.
1: Mm. Oh, cholesterol is so, vital. We know that. It's vital for yeah. every cell, heart, brain, hormone. So, mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, having a diet that's rich in 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 lipoprotein's and and saturated fats is just absolutely vital for for you know the kind of volume of exercise that that this audience would be doing and so but it's the key is you metabolize it and that's yeah. the problem is it's like i've said to people what happens is is when you ingest a bunch of carbs your body has to do crisis management. It has to stop everything to get the blood sugar down now, because as any type one diabetic can tell you, if they don't titrate themselves with insulin, they die. Mm. So it's it's that simple. And you know our bodies know how to do this by itself, but that doesn't mean the to- the, the 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 glucose load is any less toxic, right? Yeah. Um, and that's what people don't understand. And while while our physiology is 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 very elegant in terms of the evolutionary pressures. Like, we're, you know, it's very beautiful how we're meant to actually have those bouts of eating a lot of sugar three to five times a year because, you know, the insulin response converted to fat, stored as fat, works really good when, you know, fruit was ripe or berries were ripe or we had honey around. And so, you know, three to five times a year, no big deal. But three to five times a day for decades, not so good.
1: <laughs> yeah, and three to five times a year is also with rapid periods of starvation to follow, so that's, that that, that's not what we're living it, in. Yeah.
0: No, no, it's not, but so, you know, the occasional bit of carbohydrates our body deals with just, just fine, has, has that mechanism for dealing with them, but using them all the time is not, not such a good idea. Yeah. Very Pretty taxing. So no, I think um, we've covered quite a bit. Do you have any other questions I can? No, I, help? I mean
1: I think that's excellent. I I love all the the data, and I think um, yeah, the next step is sitting tight for the publications. But as you say, change is coming, and I think it's fantastic that people like yourself, alongside Bollock and Finney, can help provide the data that we've all been waiting for.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and what we're what this is going to be. I, I ask the audience to be patient because the the whole peer reviewed process is very time consuming and especially with such um, paradigm shifting data that that's being put out here i mean this is the first um, study of this type with this kind of data so a lot of the people who are in the peer-reviewed thing it's going to be hard for them to swallow because mm. by nature scientists are very skeptical well they've and also so-
1: had 40 years of gatorade studies coming out showing us that we need 90 grams of carbohydrates an hour so there's a lot to to
0: shift. Yeah, and that's the thing is people have to really be able to open their minds and really think about how we we're shaped because it's like I say, you know, the reason we have lots of fat on our bodies is because that's what we're meant to burn aerobically. You know, even the leanest athlete has plenty of fat calories. Yeah. You know. And so, you know, glycogen is a fight or flight fuel and, and, and that's a very robust thing, but we've we've kind of shifted it from being something we use for fight or flight and have plenty of it for fight or flight to something we're using all the time
1: yeah well that's certainly what's happened since the, the food pyramid and, and the grain industry brainwashed all of us
0: <laughs> yeah 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 so it's it's pretty good so um i'll leave you at that and yeah you cool know, so we'll be back on and um and uh you know as things trickle out we'll we'll get them to you
1: yeah awesome for any athlete that's interested in more about Fat adaptation check out episode 30 of the real food reel but thanks so much for your time today pete it was great to chat and i'm sure we will speak again soon
0: okay steph thank you very much for having me on anytime this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. check us out on facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash the wellness couch subscribe to each show on itunes and check us out on twitter the wellness couch streaming wellness into your lives